Fed can just print more money out of thin air, but the government's always going to be in debt to the Fed. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Dangerous World Podcast. As always, you know that myself, I'm Ryan Dean, sitting alongside Brandon Peacock. He's hanging out, enjoying the Tartaria episode that we just finished, and it was fascinating. Brought on Andreas Exertus. Exertus? It's hard to say his name. I always thought it was Zertus, but uh, he started pronouncing it Exertus. Um, Mark from the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast and Alt Media United. These guys are very intelligent. Andreas is extremely knowledgeable when it comes to Tartaria. Um, As a matter of fact, I reached out to Mark and he said he needed to bring on Andreas just to really break it down and get deep. Um, I wanted to learn the fundamentals of Tartaria. And I do feel like I have a little bit more of a grasp on it. Um, But it's still a confusing topic, dude, just because, like Andrea says, it is something that we're not taught in school typically. And it's a very deep topic. What did you think about the whole thing, man? Yeah, uh, Andreas goes deep on this, guys. If you guys have heard of Tartaria, which I know specifically uh, some of our patrons have been asking us to talk about it. If you guys know a little bit about it, you guys love Andreas. Uh, for for me, myself, I was just getting introduced to this idea of a, of a, a, a civilization long since passed and dead and gone. Um, although it might be thumping around, the heartbeat might still be going in certain parts of the world. Um, we've, you know, the idea that we have... Uh, left a great harm a great sense of harmony a, a civilization that or a, a society that has its shit together unlike what a lot of people think um you know we don't have going on for us today um that's a common one and tartaria is really the embodiment of that andreas brings the fire to to let us know about just that we're gonna have to uh, work with him again in the future because again we 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 were looking for a little bit more, a few more of the fundamentals, and I think um, that after those fundamentals have been have been breached a little bit, um, the this episode might get even more interesting. But if you guys are down with the Tartaria lifestyle, the Tartaria uh, discourse, you guys are gonna love this one. So I'm looking forward to to you guys hearing it. Definitely, dude. Uh, Exertus.com, and that is X I R T U S. Uh, com. He's taking donations. He is uh, making his work more uh, easily accessible. And that is something that you need to go and you need to support this guy's work. It's very fascinating stuff. Uh, Tartarianova.com is another one. And then he's working with Tim Pool, which I find very, very interesting. Tim Pool is, is doing some great stuff for just free minded individuals. Uh, Cast Castle is something that you need to keep an eye on. And that's going to be something new coming out. Um, and of course, Mark Steves from the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast, 
fucking awesome dude, fun guy, always connecting us with with great, great people. So uh, thanks to Mark for this episode. You guys got to go check out his show. Join his Patreon, too. He gave us a shout out. Join our Patreon, Dangerous World uh, slash uh, Dangerous World Podcast. And then we have our Gmail, which is Dangerous World Podcast at Gmail. You know the social media already for us. Uh, Dangerous World Store. Go over there, buy a shirt, support the show. And uh, another thing that we are recently doing that we're very excited about is we brought Manscaped on board. They accepted us. They brought us under their wing. And they are uh, giving us this promo code on manscaped.com, DANGER. And that'll get you 20% off of all their great shit. These guys are the best when it comes to below-the-belt grooming. Okay, you can tune up your balls. You can tune up your saggy-lipped veg. I know all you girls out there are loose and easy, but that's fine. We like that. You know what I mean? We need help. All of us guys out here, especially in the conspiracy podcast world, need help getting laid. So uh, let's tune up our shit. You guys tune up your uh, things as well, you ladies. Uh, Two million men worldwide trust Manscaped. That's not to say how many ladies do. Again, I'm curious why they don't change their name to personscaped but we won't uh pressure them on that because you know it, it's 2021 man it, it, i i feel like even though men don't have any grooming products for themselves the women are gonna latch onto this and I, I i see a lawsuit in their future i hope not uh but you know we'll see we'll see uh you got us in your corner manscaped manscaped.com promo code danger 20 percent off this fucking lawnmower is the shit, I will tell you. It's got ceramic blade, LED light, great low volume motor that is really going to uh, make it so you can shave your junk, uh, you know, very quietly and make it make it discreet, right? What's your favorite thing about Manscaped, dude? I know you like the underwear. The underwear is good. It's not riding up at all. They got some good some good engineers there. Obviously, I like the wireless charging, man. I mean, I just keep it here on my uh, on my bathroom. That's counter. cool. Yeah, I keep it on my bathroom counter. I charge it the same way I do my phone. Um, it's nice not to have to fiddle with those, especially when you're getting out of the shower with wet hands. It's a little bit more of a of a safety concern that you guys don't have to bother yourself with. Another part bit of safety is that uh, I don't need to think about which one of my disposable uh, razors am I using on my balls. And which one am I using on my face? Because no one wants to end up with pubes in their mouth. Very, very obviously. These guys make it super easy. You cannot mistake this this lawnmower for anything other than a great ball trimmer. Really gets my contours going. I'm down with this product, man. What's kind of cool too about their logo is that is a uh, it's a ball sack with a pyramid and an all-seeing eye. I don't know if you noticed that, but it's pretty cool. Um, again, guys, just head over to, to manscaped.com, get 20% off and free shipping with the code danger at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use co- promo code danger, unlock your confidence, and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Well, yeah. So, I mean, you know, getting into Tartaria, I'm really interested to know uh, what it is, first of all, why it would be kind of smothered by the powers that be, why we don't know about it, why we don't acknowledge it as a uh, why we don't learn about this in high school. Right. Um, What if I was a little kid and you're trying to describe Tartaria to me, how would you go about doing that? Man, so. 
That's awesome. First off, I'm Andreas Exertis, by the way. And so like I'm the guy who studies Tartaria. So thanks for having me here. I just wanted to like make it clear that like, you know, I'm only showing things that I've seen myself. So over the years, I've been really lucky because I did hear about Tartaria. Like they did have things that they showed us in school, like about the vegetable sheep of Tartary. And when I was a little kid, like there's even a movie called Taurus Bulba, which is all about like the tar- the taters, the Tartars, the Cossacks in Russia. And like, you know, these things have been on maps. So even when I was like six years old, my parents had this like old globe that's like a bar and on it, it says Tartaria. But I would guess I would say like to like a six year old, like because basically what I saw when I was six were like videos with buried um, cities. You know, you have like a layer where it's today and there's dirt and then there's people and then there's dinosaurs like there's skeletons and dinosaurs. It's all in mud and it's all that time is actually measured in layers of sediment. Right. Mm -hmm. So I would just say like watch a lot of the cartoons because they actually did show you a lot about it, like a lot about this like society that was lost, that was stolen, that was just, you know, just destroyed however you want to look at it but like there was you know part of everything tarnation like was a thing and like their tartar sauce and like there's like steak tartar and like you start to notice like those words are still here but they're kind of almost like like discriminant like discriminatory like you think about like in um song of the south the tar baby right and like these things like they definitely relate to this idea of this like old world there was a the civilization called tartaria and like in the 1500s you could get books on this that were um, you know, the vegetable sheep of Tartary, which was cotton, right? It's a sheep that's made of vegetable that you can make jackets from the wool of, right? So that vegetable sheep is cotton. So it came really far east and really far west where apparently Tartary was. So it's like Pac-Man. Like if you go left or you go right, you come out around Tartaria. So that was even before people like to talk about um, you know, I think Emerson and Washington Irving were really interested in this idea of like Columbus finding a globe, but like the globe was already discussed at that idea, you know, that time in the 15th century in the, you know, 2000 years prior, people already were talking about a round, you know, ring of uh, places that connected even from a polar projection. And you're seeing on the maps, Tartaria, you find it almost in every map, actually like Mercator's maps. Um, it's into the 1890s. Now we have Tartarstan which is like the last country that's still remnants of this place, but it's a real place. And so, you know, that that's the, that's like the first like line of like, does it exist or did it exist? But I've, you know, interviewed a lot of people from around the world and have gone to a lot of these places. And what we found is this remnants of Tartar, uh, Tartarian culture in a lot of other places. And what happened to those people, one of the, one of the persons they interviewed recently, it's a girl whose great grandmother and grandfather were part of, you know, in Tartarstan, their families were put into gulags, you know, they had their back in their blonde, blue eyed Muslims, you know, working in these temples that were like, you know, like Naboo in episode one, like very beautiful, very interesting, like very like Slavic country, you know, like Tartarstan's like in South of Russia and, you know, but they, they had, uh, they had their entire country basically taken from them and they had everyone put into camps and eventually they were allowed to live in these like hotel, you know, buildings, but they lost their, their culture and they were assimilated into the Soviet Union. So they know all the stuff I don't know, or I didn't know that was all about what happened afterwards, but they didn't know anything that happened before that, right? Because no one's written down uh, what happened to them. So this is the first time we're able to interview them and see what happened to their grandparents and their parents and these kids. They've written down what happened in their diaries and journals, and they've told their, their families. So now we know in the last 200 years, 150 years, what's happening to the Kulaks and the Cossacks. So there's actually, there's some proof of these people actually being a real thing. And 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 again, just because I I know nothing about this, is Tartary something different than Tartaria? 
Well, so, I mean, again, the way neither one of those words were necessarily the words that they used to describe their own culture. So like Phoenicians, right? Phoenicia is not the name of Phoenicia. There's no Phoenicia. Like there's Tyr, there's Tar. It's actually the capital. Uh, Tripoli is one of the major cities in Phoenicia and like Lebanon and like all of these places along the coastline. We call it Phoenicia because of the phonemes that they use in their writing system. The same thing happens with the Tartars. So it might not be that it's correct to say Tartar or Tartarian or Tartary, but in the 1500s, it was very common to have books written about this by the Jesuits, the priests, you know, fur traders who were going and traveling to the Americas or they were traveling to Russia. They were in China or they're in India. China was completely called Tartary. Ian Fleming, who did, uh, you know, travels in Tartary, right, amongst other books, right? So you've got like... Uh, James Bond, and you've got stories about what they referred to as, you know, Marco Polo talked about Tartary. And Tartary is a little different in the sense that, like, because the way that the way it's different is that there's different ways it's described by different people that have different rumors, right? So some people were there. Other people are saying, oh, well, there's this vegetable sheep, you know, so cotton becomes this more mythical thing. They're trying to describe it in a way that might be a little um, off kilter from what's correct. So eventually, like, the Tartars were kind of defeated. And what was the you know, Georgian Khazar state, you know, in Soichi, they took over. And so tarmacs were in charge, right? They moved into Spain. And when so Spain became uh, part of the Cordoba Caliphate, it's become a Muslim uh, caliphate. Then all of a sudden, you know, they became the bad guys to the European and Western European encroachers. So they decided to say, oh, well, these guys are the worst. And they said, oh, these, you know, tar, tar on their teeth and all this. That's really like a lot of these like negative connotations start with that at that point with these words. And then they they defeated them and they said, OK, well, underground, like Hades, right? Hades is like the land of the dead. In Latin, they call it Tartarus. And so like, that's what Hades is, is Tartarus. So everyone, so they have all the names of the underground and the tunnels and like the idea of like, you know, there are, uh, you know, Mirrodons that live in the Tartarus and like, yeah. So the, the river of sticks, you know, from the Tartarus. So they do have a, they have a kind of a difference in the sense that like, it's just something that's been talked about forever, but it's been misunderstood forever as well. So, well, that's the thing. Like a, a lot of people are talking about this and I want to hear from you too, Mark, because I know that you have a great way of explaining things sort of, again, to like a six-year-old. I literally, I, I mean, when you talk about the vegetable sheep, uh, that is something that I would like to be kind of explained as well. Because, dude, none of this stuff, um, I always get a little weirded out when so many people start talking about one thing all at once. And Tartaria seemed to have been, uh, like it was kind of taking this whole podcast community by storm as far as, the conspiracy crazy people out here and yeah. I, I i hear a lot of people talking about it and they're all just kind of saying the same things they're rattling off all this stuff and it sounds fascinating at the end of the day what i understand is it's like a lost world type of a situation almost like a city of atlantis right um maybe Atl- Atl- atlantis was one of the cities of the tartary confederated there you uh, go. trade network so okay so that that makes more sense but the thing is like it, I, I feel like there's so much information that gets missed because a lot of people assume that that a lot more people know about this. Uh, and that's kind of cool, uh, Andreas, that you that you actually learned about this in school. I have not. I mean, this is I literally heard about it the first time when we did a big swap cast with Mark, with I think Idiocalypse at the time. Um, a few other people were all in there. and We just hopped in. They're talking about Tataria. And I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, what are they, what are we talking about here? So I find Fair. it really interesting. Yeah. 
Well, that's oh. interesting because they actually have made it so that it's hard to find. You're right. And I think what, in California, I was lucky. Like, you know, by the way, Texas and California have their own educational systems that are separate from the rest, which is another important thing. I think uh, Bravo would like to know about when he talks about uh, the Rockefeller educational system. But one of the things that happened in California was you guys have heard of the Dutch East Indies Company, right? Like yeah. kind of helped find the world. The Dutch used to work for Spain and then there was a 70, 80 year war and then they became free. So they took over a lot of old Spanish colonies with a Spanish colonies were Moorish colonies. Well, on the other side, you have the Russian East Indies Company, the Russian Pacific Company, the Russian Atlantic Company. The Russian Pacific Company was going from Russia to California, and they took over parts of California. They took over parts of Alaska, all the way down to like Santa Cruz and Silicon Valley regions were controlled by the Russians. And so they actually like, you know, this is something that they have like buildings left over from in these forts. And one of the things is they say, wow, like, well, that's why there are bastion forts here. And so these bastion forts are these star forts. We find them everywhere, wherever this network was. And so those were the forts that were taken over by these trading companies. And so the Russian East Indies Company, they existed right around the time that the Jesuits were excommunicated. So there's a point in history where the Jesuits were running the Catholic Church. They had colonized Paraguay. 99% of them were wiped out from a triple alliance war. They actually get killed by the Brazilians, Bolivians, and the Argentinians just come from every angle. And they just take out this crazy state that had 99% literacy, had astronomy, observatories, universities, all kinds of crazy things, like way advanced. Wiped it out. And then the Jesuits were also in Japan. A third of Japan were killed. You can watch Scorsese's movie Silence. It's all about how they killed a third of the Japanese because they were Catholic. No, no, and it sounds like it. that civilization was focused on everything except for military, if they were able to get wiped out all easily like that. Well, and that's an interesting thing, too, actually. So that's a big that's a big thing. So in anthropology in school, especially, they put focus on this idea of war being the reason society starts. And it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And a lot of the places I've been like have proven that doesn't make sense. You see that trade and, uh, you know, building an endless summer trade route makes more sense. But a religion or something like building these temples and these things that, that all seems to happen more when you hit a point in Maslow's hierarchy of needs where you have everything you need, then you can do more. But when there's a disaster, when there's a disaster, then a uh, you know, trade's less important. You start to consolidate your resources, kill off who you can't take care of, just sacrifice your own babies. And then that becomes those kinds of war-torn societies, right? So war yeah. societies are not the norm. I mean, they yeah. are, but that's really messed up. They shouldn't be, you know? And it's like more it, primitive. Yeah, right? and if you think, but actually, I don't believe so. So that's the other thing. So the word primitive, think about that word, primal, prime. Yeah, prime yeah. Number, so being a prime, the prime thing to do would be to work together to overcome your stresses and to avoid scarcity. But when oh, you're I, in I scarcity, I would disagree with that. You don't think I so? Disagree with, yeah, I, I yeah. think so, man. I mean, I'm not, you know, I, I do think that like, uh, you know, we just talked with uh, Micah Dank um, and, and, you know, it does seem like if you were brought back to your roots, you're not going to try to uh, kind of talk with other people. You're going to try and focus on like how to preserve yourself. And you're going to, you know, go to hunting and gathering type situations but, and you're going to make it so Ryan, like you're just I trying can, to where yeah. in nature do I mean, we don't really see that in nature. In nature, you see even with animals that kill each other, there's a very, very uh, precise symbiosis that all animals are engaged in where if the predator eats too much of its prey, it throws off the future of its whole offspring. So nature has all of these different ways to, 
turn prey animals into these incredibly hard to catch creatures. And that's just one really obvious example. I mean, you can go down even to like the small little fish that eat the bacteria off of the belly of a shark. That shark can eat those fish theoretically, but it doesn't because of the symbiotic relationship. Again, well, when they're stuck to the shark, example, they can't. But when you're yeah. talking about humanity and we're talking about Tartari, I think the uh, the point that needs to be elaborated is that human beings fell from a higher place. We as a civilization, where we are, as Andreas described, a warlike group of uh, rogue nations that make alliances and fight with each other. This is not the natural state of the earth. The earth sure. is supposed to be in harmony and all of the species on the planet are supposed to be in harmony with one another and you see again and again and again when you really look at history you see groups of people like the roman empire you see groups of people like alexander the great and egypt even these people are are fighting anybody who doesn't go along with their kind of sun worshiper monotheistic ever since that monotheism was created it's really gone to stamp out any other kind of religion you see that as christianity very obviously spread itself across the new world uh again covering up and taking over a lot of these ancient sites like the star forts that andreas was getting into describing previously but yeah i think the important thing to remember is that history right we're getting his story the victor's story and mm -hmm. over and over again the enemies, the losers of battles are not only rewritten out of history, but like Andreas explained, the words, the etymological value of the words get turned to put a sort of psychology in place where people remember that as, you know, bad, you know, those people were bad and it's better off without them, right? That's the age old thing. It's what the Rome you know, they did that to the Jewish people by getting this guy Josephus to come and write all this stuff and rewarp the way they saw the Roman Empire. You know, they they were warlike people. And then the Roman Empire got this uh, Josephus character, allegedly, to go in and, and take the Messiah talk out, take the war stuff out and make it, oh, yeah, the state is here to, you know, take care of us and and you see that time and time again, that's, you know, all the way up to the modern age with places like the Skull and Bones, which connects to the Dutch East India Company, right? There's a connection there. And Skull and Bones, they were all about this Hegelian dialect, turning people on sides, dividing people, framing the narrative. And that's what's happened when you look at Tartaria, right? Yeah, like, you know, that's, a pretty, solution. that's a pretty good, I like that connection for a couple of reasons. But, you know, one of the things with the Rosicrucians is the word uh, Rosh in Hebrew means skull because that's with the blossoming of the skull when it comes out of the womb and so the, the the rose cross is also tied to the skull and bones but the the reason that they use this on the jolly uh, rouge like the red you know jolly roger flag which is like the skull and bones flag for pirate ships they're not for pirate ships right you know because like pirates wouldn't use a flag or they would use your flag to trick you but they why would they be like hey here we are we're pirates those yeah. are for bank those are for banking ships the banking ships are like don't mess with us we have this you know skull and bones ship so yeah it is pretty you know it is exactly connected brandon <laughs> do you have any do you have anything to ask so far because i i uh i i still i stand strong on my position that 
uh, I think that war is part of of the human uh, evolution. I, I, I yeah, but stand Ryan, on that don't hill. you think like that's? I mean, I I remember finding this book that you would hate. You would really hate this book. Why? It's called Demonic Males, right? And it goes into exactly what you're saying, and it talks about how you know you as a, a straight white male are prone to war because you come from apes. I don't believe that at all right yeah so let me let me let me like pull it back even because what he's trying to what what he's trying to say is making (laughs) sense it's true but like here like this like let's say you take somebody who's like father or grandfather great-grandfather was a nazi okay but then they their uh baby was and the mother was like raped or whatever like and they shipped off to argentina and they're like three generations in you know they've got you know, been eating papayas and living in the rainforest and they've been running a vegetarian crocodile clinic where they take care of, you know, baby crocodiles. I don't know. Like you have to imagine like several generations of this, like it changes you, like your epigenetics change, like your environment changes, like everything about like what you're preparing for. If you're not preparing for winters anymore and all of a sudden you're preparing for papaya and you're just like living with the beaches and the flow, like it's not going to be the same person, right? So this is like another thing about like, you know, when you think about like the conquistadors who came to America and they just stole the lands is the story. They're like, wow, I can just like, according to Columbus's uh, journals, like, wow, we could just cut these people's heads off because they would come up to the blade and we just slice it because they're just so fascinated by how sharp they were. It's like, this is a paradigm that happens from nurture. Like really, like it is. It's something that only happens because they were trained to think that they're living in a simulation, that they're God's chosen people and that these other people are just like, they're not even humans. They're like Arawak. So like they can just do what they want with them. That's exactly what we're, we're seeing now. And there are like, you have to imagine the same thing with like at the time they're thinking I can steal from these people. And the other people are thinking, why would anybody steal? Well, they weren't even thinking that. Cause like, it doesn't make sense. Cause there's just fruit growing everywhere. Well, dude, like, that's what I think is going on right now in the United States. I think that we have gone full circle where we were like this power house of a, of a, of an empire, if you will. And we're starting to get taken advantage of now, in my opinion, right? And I don't want to bring this too much to like the current event shit because I want to talk, I want to focus on Tartaria. But we we seem like I the reason that I think that war is part of of like it's always going to be a thing is because we are humans. I'm not a, a Henry Kissinger or a Henry Kissinger type where I think that war is good, right? War is is horrible, but war is going to always be a thing because I talked with Brandon about this just like uh, an episode or two ago that hard men breed easy times and easy men or soft men breed hard times. And it's always going to be like this, this flowing, like this circle of life almost where if a country or an empire gets soft, someone hard is going to come in and take their resources. Right. And then vice versa. If a country's real hard, no one's going to fuck with them. That's why we have two Iranian ships heading over here, two Iranian warships heading over to either Venezuela or the United States. We're not sure where they're heading yet because they're in international waters, but there's some fucking warships heading over here, right? They're going to get here this week. If nothing changes, I would, I would say, I would say I agree with most of what you're saying, but I think the psychological psychological perspective is what's important to understand here. And then maybe we can go back to Tartaria. But I think 
it's not an expression of the masculine to be so defensive. Yeah. Also that's, I think that's a military industrial complex is not an expression of what it means to be male. I think a confident male is self-defensive. They don't go out and antagonize and invade and destroy. Also Tartaria was a matriarchy. So you have like today we have like um, judges who wear wigs, right? And it's because they're emulating the African Baalbek courts where the women were in charge in Baalbek you know to run all the administration so like the word economy means running of the house right so like most of these things were actually designed so that women could do them because they have periods where they're like not able to be running around like hunting all the time as much so it's like better to have you know because they're having babies or they're having periods and so with men like they're able to be expendable and so they were used as hunter gatherers you know you know i I mean you need to get more woke andreas men can have babies too i don't think you understand that dude well i mean no i i didn't another thing like so when people talk about the lobster and they're like oh 300 million years of evolution they also forget that you can easily genetically modify someone now so you can make someone half lobster and you could have no it's true like you could crisper someone into being a completely different thing than what evolution had allowed for so sure which true we you're actually as funny as it is it's true we have to like open up the idea that things can change really quickly right so i was kind of hoping for your lovecraft guy for that because what if like so i was kind of wondering like if i had a debate against uh, tartaria the only thing i could imagine is that you know somebody went back in time and placed it there so theoretically because you're like how could tartaria not have happened well because there's so much evidence the only thing is that that evidence was placed there by time travelers that's the best argument against it that i've got and i like it because that might point could be true you know sure his main point was that uh you know all of the mountains that you see there's no civilization under every single one of those mountains i think that was his i don't know about that i mean there could easily be hollow earth stuff like what i mean we have tunnels norad's a thing like there could easily be giant tunnel cities under the world right like are are we that was are we convinced is he convinced that there's not like underground cities like uh does he think norad's just like anomaly or what no, and I, I, you know, and I don't really know, but that was just the one thing where he was saying, like, all, all the mountains that are out there, they're not necessarily uh, buried uh, civilizations. But I, I do want to hear from Brandon. What were you, what do you think so far, dude? Because uh, we are going all over the place and I know that you want to piss all three of us off. So what do you, what do you have in your head? Just, just some things to bring up. Uh, and then I do want to get into the, a little bit more of the biography, uh, the biograph- biographical information of, uh, of Tartaria, Andreas. Uh, I hear the idea of supposed to, like civilizations being supposed to or nature is supposed to um, understand. And you might be supposing correctly, but that when you suppose something, you overlay all of your discussion with ideas of masculinity, which Ryan and Mark and I and Andreas have very, very different versions of that. Um, We have very different versions of basic history courses i mean I, I we won't have to root around too long before we figure out that i agree with this textbook and mark doesn't and that's and and, and and all that so we have fundamental disagreements about that i'll just throw out my two cents saying that uh andreas i heard you mention that you know war is a prime driver in society but as you said that sucks that is a that is a, a line of thinking that i can get behind it's just that there's this there's this su- supposed harmony that's out there. I don't see it because if you look just outside of Earth's atmosphere, everything like uh, nothing, uh, hardly anything can live and stuff's 
burning up really, really hot and freezing really cold. Chaos, and yeah. and and for most of human history, uh, we're we're gonna get this is the the, the key discussion that we're gonna have here. But for most of human and then uh, before uh, prehistoric history, before we were even here, I think there was a lot of species that didn't fill the appropriate uh, evolutionary niches and therefore died out. And they didn't just die out because they weren't supposed to be there. Most living things throughout history have died of agonizing pain, starving, alone. And it's a sucky thing. But Andreas, like you say, I don't think it, it needs to be that way. And it sucks that it was. Um, and then there's a whole bunch and of dividing lines between. It, it's not always that way, though. So that's the thing. No, like no, there's like the, Neand- the Neander- yeah. Neanderthals have like funerals and cemeteries, right? Like, so, I mean, nature does show that there's like a trend for caring for each other or for all sorts of other things and trade. But, but, but you keep in mind that the Neanderthals aren't here anymore too. Like I I know, but we're also keep in mind that we're part, some of us are partially Neanderthal, like by like almost nearly 5%. Some people I am, but you know, and what I'm curious though, Brandon, I think that, you know, Andreas, Mark and myself, we all kind of like kind of threw out our case for what masculinity is. And you said we all have different ideas of what it is. I'm curious of what you think masculinity is in your opinion. I mean, this, this is going to sound like an out guys. Uh, if, if you want to hear what makes a good man to me, I can talk about that. But as far as defining masculinity, I'll just send you to Merriam Webster. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think no, I'm, the, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm asking you seriously, like what you feel it is. You can't just completely like side with, with, with the dictionary. I'm just saying like what you like, what do you try to do as far as like being a man and why are we wrong? Like, why am I wrong for saying that? You know, masculinity, in my opinion, it's it's it's. It doesn't. I don't think yourself. he said. I don't think he said anyone was wrong. It's just the idea that they're different. So, like, they, that's sure. the thing. Like, there are different perspectives, and they might be. Uh, and this is okay. So, this is the thing about humanity, right? There are like different mutations every generation, and those generations are around times that are different. Those moments have different kinds of weather and different kinds of storms and phenomenon. So sometimes they'll work. Sometimes the mutations will be uh, important because uh, you have to change to go with those mutations. And other times you won't find them useful, and so they'll just get way- off by the wayside right so every but they might be useful in the future so there's a there's sure. a lot there's a lot of times when you know like things are variable and masculinity yeah, no. might be like that it might be like right now it's not the same as it was in the past well definitely and that's just why i was curious you know because you know mark kind of stepped in and said that like i was a little off with what i was saying um i'm, I'm just curious to to hear what you think masculinity would be um in this sense of of everything uh, if I, if you want, if okay, so if, gun ahead, oh uh, yeah, a gun to head, a person who tries to leave his community, uh, uh better than it was before Perfect. he was born and has a dick and balls. Only thing, only, only criteria Her, well, for masculinity in my, there can be masculine opinion. females, Brandon, get with the times. This is if the month you, of June. If you guys want to talk about gender versus sex, we can do that on another episode. Okay. Okay. But that's my definition there. Let me get back to the biographical stuff though, Andreas. Sure. When are we talking about? Let's put some dates on this. So before Sumeria, before Mesopotamia, how far back? Okay, so so part of the deal is that there's a thing called the Fomenko timeline. So there's a guy named Anatoly Fomenko, and he was a Russian Soviet, uh, you know, scientist, anthropologist, and mathematician. And so he focused on um, 
the the calendar and all of the historical dates that we have that say this happened then and that happened at this time and found that there's a number of these sequence of events that happened over and over again where you'd have the same kings in this period and the same kings in that period where like for 12 generations it'd be one king to another with the same birthday and death day for like 12 generations and so like okay so you have a story about these 12 kings here and there and there. And so they're really just the same story that's been told to conquer all these people. And so the Catholics and the Orthodox, they were going to all these places and they were superimposing all of the stuff. So this is back in what we call like the third or fourth century. But, you know, what's crazy is that the last thousand years has really had like maybe 2000 years worth of events that we're historically considering. Because we say like, you know, in the year of our Lord with a J and then it would be like, 856 and so like that's like 1856 so for a lot of these things that have happened it's actually just been like a thousand years and so jesus would have been a thousand years ago and then so tartaria would have been before jesus like up to you know like the what we consider the babylonian period and so some of that stuff that we understand from the bible actually does connect to like the sumerian research and the sumerian stuff is really valuable because it tells us you know that there was this place that was simultaneously existing uh that the phoenicians uh, use different kinds of symbols than them and the tar tier t-y-r-e is the way we do it now but there's no vowels back then right like tar t-r is like and ptah is also so the name's father so ptah becomes the name in egyptian for ahotep and for ptah this and that so like that oh, word shit. starts to spread and dude, so then it, what we've is that really why, last- i'm sorry i'm sorry to interrupt dude i'm so sorry to interrupt but is that why like nexium and things like that they don't use vowels in like it could when be, it could be related. I always wondered what's up with the um wheel of fortune, man. Why do you have to pay extra for the vowels? That's what up. I'm saying. Cause like that's <clears throat> so fascinating. I didn't well, realize you know, that like in a lot of old in a, yeah, in a lot of old languages, they just use consonants. Uh, and that's because wow. it's easier to mark things out. And like Hebrew, for instance, today still doesn't use vowels, but you can kind of assume where they are, and like actually they might change by generation. This is like another thing. It's like it could be every thousand years the vowels switch. So there's some weird that's stuff with insane. that. But um, I've heard, I've heard the opposite. I've heard like vowels, right? A E I O U are kind of universal sounds. That well, there's ten. There's forward. ten vowels in Sanskrit, right? So there's a a e e u u a i o a u am aha, which are like the the full vowels in Sanskrit, and so those have been kind of broken down into like four you know basically that sometimes why sometimes why <laughs> yeah so, but why used to be a th sound and then in the old days th was t to huh so like thule used to be tahuli and like barcelona would have been like bartula you know there's a lot of things that have changed and c and z were like ch. so to, wow. to, to my question of defining like when this all would have at least been going on and i'm not i'm asking for oh wait yeah, yeah we're really really quickly because i almost i almost finished the thing but so the point is just really quickly, the Sumerian stuff that talks about Tartaria, it's like it's the oldest stuff we have, right? Is the so Tartaria is Sumerian stuff. So Sumerian stuff should tell us how old it is. Point is, we have tablets from Tartaria that are older than the Sumer- Sumerian tablets. So if you look up the tablets of Grashnitsa, you look up the Tartarian tablets, those predate our Sumerian stuff. So it's that old. Okay, keep going. Wow. What? Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, the one one of them being the the tablets of Tartaria, which I think are like in were found in Roman uh, modern day Romania, right around that around that area, Bulgaria um, and Romania. Right now, so uh, the 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 mainstream historian will point to that at that and say, yeah, this looks like some language, but we don't have any other evidence pointing to the corroboration of an existing 
uh, systematic language system existing before then. It's weird to me, even reading that, that they're like, we have this one that says there is a language, but we can't find any other evidence that there was language. I understand how historicity works and why you maybe just because there's also fraudulent claims here being made saying that some some of these are made up this is also pretty new research though so the thing is in the 19th century this stuff was kind of becoming popular in the 20 early 20th century they started locking this up you couldn't look this stuff up after 1917 and by 1914 like the war is going on so that's like the last time people are like checking this stuff out up until now and so now you've got people in Bulgaria that are going to the tunnels. There's tunnels are from 7,000 years ago. And they're starting to find all the tra uh, traces of what would be symbolic logic for this. You know, And so what we found is that these tablets, they say that there's a picture uh, with a couple of numbers on one side. And then there's another tablet that's near it that's, uh, that's actually have a line crossed through it that's to show the other side. And it's a picture of like a bunch of fruit and crops. And so what's been proposed and that we've pretty well proven, I think we can almost say we're confident confident in is that this is a compass pact, which is an agreement between two people for futures from what animals that they can get uh, from their yield in next year and what fruit the other guy can get from his yield that year. And then they have a certain amount of them based on like one uh, goat or the two goats that he's paying for the futures of. And this is something that we have lots of examples of others doing for thousands of years all in the area. And so it's the most logical conclusion that we have because it actually has like uncanny like connections. People still make compasses. They still make promise groups with each other and they still use future trading where farmers will have these tricks to teach their sons where they're like, this is how I'll tell you how many uh, goats we're going to have based on that mother because she came from a, a group a litter this big or this many fruit because the tree's branch is this long and stuff so with anthropology we're kind of uncovering a lot and also the hypothesis came from what happened in the mayan uh uh cuneiform you know tablet uh, like they had cuneiform tablets in russia and they had mayan tablets in south america and they're like these tablets have very similar uh, symbology and they have 200 symbols or 219 symbols, but they don't have enough to be hieroglyphic and they don't have too many to be uh, phonetic. Like, you know, like Sanskrit has like 60 symbols, like 56. So 200 is too many. So what they realize actually is it's symbols with uh, linguistic phonemes in it. And so that way you can interpret the sounds based on the animals that make those sounds. So it unlocks what kind of sounds that they make. So we've got some tablets from very, very old civilizations saying that there are technologies that were at work there that work so well that we're still using them today. So that that gives me at least kind of a um, it's not exactly the end bracket of this of, of the age of this empire. Do we have do do you suppose there's any sense of when the beginning bracket of this empire would have come about? Like when are we talking like these are the guys who who helped shave out homo homo uh, uh homo sapiens um evolutionary con uh contenders and competitors uh because they still haven't answered that question right as how we got how the neanderthals just just died out even though they were cousins of us and we were living in the same environments are they like going back to like what three hundred thousand years ago in our in our calendar is that is that a, a kind of assumption that we can even make well and did they all die out yeah, so so the, the point is, first off, like in the places that we're looking at where, where we're from, so all of us here, like anyone who's not like for all of history, their family ancestral line been purely in Africa, like anyone who's in Europe has some Neanderthal in them. 
So that's a huge population. It's a huge population to be mixed into. It's between 1% to 5%, but it's still like that's significant. So they're not bred out and you still see a lot of trends from Neanderthal. That's not the only one. There's also Furiensis, which is in the Indonesia and the Denisovan, which are in the Scandinavian uh, and Russian places, the Caucasus, and also sometimes in Canada and the Scythian areas. Um, and there's Denisovan that made it as far as Indonesia too. So there's a, and there's a bunch of other hominids as well. So when you talk about bipedal hominids, it sounds scientific. If you say Bigfoot is my grandmother, it sounds weird. But like, if you think about it, really what we're just talking about here is that there's a number of different kinds of hominids that existed simultaneously to each other. Some of them, and they have gene flow. And that's another, that's a really important distinction is that if you take like a horse and you take like a donkey and you make a mule, they don't have proper gene flow. And so they're, they're sterile, like the offspring. So with humans, um, with all of these different kinds of hominids, these bipedal hominids must have been at least similar enough in terms of genes that their promoter sequences can interact with each other. So that gene flow is really fascinating. The fact that we can go back and forth shows that Neanderthals are not that different from us for whatever reason. And that might be because of the same species and they've just micro evolved to be different. It also could be because of you know specific engineering. Who knows? You know, like that that makes just as much sense to be honest. Like, but you know, that's yeah. I mean, man, I always find it so interesting too that you know, humans supposedly come from either Africa, the Middle East, somewhere in that region, and those regions are so fucked up, like they haven't evolved. Well, no, they were really great, but they've been like torn apart a lot. It's another sure. thing that's to be important to remember. It's like in the last hundred, two hundred years, like where are the most resources right now? Okay, like where are the poorest countries? Right, those are put those two on top of each other, and then you have the world's economic system. You make sure that it's cheap to buy in the place that has the stuff you want to buy the most. Right. So there's definitely a totalitarian uh, system that's like designed to take cobalt from the Congo. Right. Yeah. There's a reason why the Congo is so messed up, but the Congo is beautiful. The people there are brilliant. Like actually, sure. like, you know, like I don't know if you're familiar with a lot of the movies that come out of, but they speak French and now they speak Chinese because they'll speak the language that they're forced to learn in the school that was paid to be built there by the oil company, you know? So, you know, that's, that's kind of the problem, but Africa used to be uh, the major epicenter for trade. All of these deserts used to be rivers, right? So this lake, Mega Chad River was like a lake, actually Mega Chad Lake that was underneath the Sahara. And then the Sahara just means desert because that's how long ago it was that it's been covered. It might've been that Sahara used to be lake, you know, like yeah, yeah. called Mega Chad. So, and there were river canal systems all over Africa. It wasn't a desert and like, it isn't today actually. Like a lot of the Africa is, pur is purported to be this sand desert. There's only so much of it that's in the center that really is, but that, part used to be all water canals so everything was connected in ways that you could connect to each other and you know the eritrean boats are the same boats that they have in the viking lands and they have a lot of the same blood and they have uh african lions on the shields of the scandinavians and women uh they have like viking wives that were wearing uh moorish rings so you do the math you know like really like things were very different really recently well, yeah and they say <laughs> that like the first the first humans that like there was i was listening to the conspiracy show with richard surratt and they were saying like these elongated human skulls. A lot of those people had Pensis. red hair. And you know what I mean? Like, that's what's kind of interesting, like red hair, red beards. But Mark, it looked like you were trying to say something. What were you going to say, man? Thank you. Yeah, no, I, I honestly I love that we got Andreas here because he does have so much information to share. One of the things that we haven't really touched on that he mentioned and I saw a look on your face there, Brandon. I know this is, uh, you know, we're talking about rewritten history, but it's important to remember, like, you know, 
where are we getting our information from? Because it's not from the people who were killed in these wars uh, yeah. going back all the way to uh, ancient Egypt and beyond. But, you know, to get into some of the more interesting stuff, I personally was very skeptical about Tartaria initially because I saw theories like, oh, all these mountains are just melted buildings and these mountains here are trees that used to be gigantic and look at them and, you know, doesn't this all sound great, you know, and they painted this really interesting fantasy that Ryan kind of illustrated like, yeah, it just kind of came out of nowhere and hit the podcasting sphere by storm. But after I kind of looked deeper and deeper, you find that there actually is real uh, architectural evidence to show that what we're told about the dark ages is not true at all right we're told that the dark ages was this horrible awful time everybody was so dumb meanwhile there's these amazing cathedrals that are being built amazing pianos that are being built you know all these different things and then on top of that what uh, andreas was illustrating is like there's a universality to this culture that spreads geographically to places that you might not think would be associated. And it's because they had the ability to mine for copper and tin and get brass and build ships that were really strong and then navigate the coastlines. Cause you can travel the whole world just by going along a coastline. I mean, that was how they drew those maps up. And that's why you have the Piri Reese map that shows like Antarctica as a, a body of land that has trees and, and isn't covered by snow, but without getting too far flung here, Andreas, you mentioned the star forts. Where do we see the most star forts? And what do you think the, the conclusion or, or what, what about star forts is so interesting? Yeah, actually, star forts are one of the, like, like the most anomalous things. Actually, I, I wish I could find like a, maybe I can pull up like one to show you guys. But basically what they look like are these like snowflakes. Hold on. See, how do I, can I share a screen? How do I push that? Yeah, I just yeah, uh, made it possible for you to share screen, Andreas. And what Thanks, you were man. saying too, Mark, like with the dark ages and everyone thinking that they're so fucked up, it is it, it is funny because we are told that they're the dark ages and you can't really associate anything but negativity with dark ages, right? You know what the dark ages were? Those are the age of light, you know, the age of illumination. That's when sure. the Arab, Arab world that was makes at its sense. peak. So, I mean, you had people with camera obscuras and things. So these are the forts you see. And a lot of, you know, if you were to look around Europe, you'll find very well-preserved cities in Holland that are like inside of these snowflake forts, you know, and you got these like great Mario brothers, like snowflake, you know, dag- dag- you know uh, daggers, right? That are they're sticking out and they're everywhere. Okay. And these are supposed to be military fortifications. The whole, everyone in the world is sure that these are built for, you know, th- thwarting the enemies etc there's a lot of uh, a lot of them built in the 15th century so they say okay they're, they're from italy and they're a neoclassical you know piece called the bastion fort well the problem with all of that and oh yeah by the way like everything everywhere is one so like the pentagon is a is a old, originally a fort that's been converted into a pentagon it used to be a snowflake fort and if i were to go to like let's say uh uh, Wall, uh, Wall Street, uh, New Amsterdam map. Okay, so if we were to go to New Amsterdam back in the 1600s, right, you'd find that the Twin Towers were on top of this snowflake fort, which is weird. 
Okay. And then if you were to look at, um, what's another good one? Okay. Like, uh, wall street, right. Remember when we got into that, how wall street is actually named because that wall of the fort was like where they built alongside of, right. Too true. Too true. Yeah. They took the wall down from the Amsterdam fort and that's how they got in. And the British took over the Dutch colony. Right. And the Dutch remember from what we're talking about with the Spanish from the Dutch East Indies company and the Spanish being controlled by the Cordoba Caliphate. So the word turban and tulip actually is a, it's because of tulip means turban. And, you know, there's a lot that was going on that led to all this, but also the Moorish trade routes that existed before the British took them over. So the triangular trade, those were used by Moors that controlled and they went all the way up and the Dutch actually ended up like commuting and working with them. So, but okay. So star forts, um, they're everywhere. And the reason that's important is because these weren't built in the 15th century necessarily. Like, you know, there are some people that are recreating them, I'm sure, but you find them in Indonesia, you know, like you find them in Hawaii, you find them in Formosa. Let me see if I can find Dutch Formosa. This was the old name for Taiwan, right? So Taiwan is on, this is, this now is a giant uh, star fort. It's still there. There's a bunch of towers right next to it, but that star fort is still there in Taiwan today. Um, so just Google duck Formosa or uh, Dutch Formosa. Sorry, duck Dutch Formosa, yeah, Dutch Formosa, right? Because that's cool. what Taiwan Taiwan used to be called. It was also Spanish Formosa. Because again, remember, Spain. I wonder what happens if you do Google duck Formosa. That'd be interesting. Probably like a cool comic book series that we should start. That sounds like a great TV show. Yeah, it's like wow, I love about a guy who lives. Art too, though. So like, this is what Tartaria used to look like. People used to wear these clothes. The clowns eventually, when Tartaria was destroyed, people like court jesters. A lot of time they were like wise men, and they were just like intelligent people that were kept around from Tartaria. So colorful clothes, a lot of the time, was part of the the Tartar culture, which is What's really. What's up with this dude on the ground? Uh, the one laying in carpet, or that uh, one right in the center under the group. Let's go right closer. There, that. He's like crawling yeah. in that guy's shadow or something. I don't know. Yeah, he's bowing yeah, down sure. to some royalty. You got some. Uh, yeah, got some he's probably players. bowing. That makes sense. Yeah. He's bowing. Yeah, yeah some, so there's some hierarchy in even even in uh, in these. Countries. Oh yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So so someone was saying earlier, like, oh, this was like not you know like okay, maybe it existed, but it wasn't perfect. Well, no, of course it probably wasn't perfect. Sure. Like, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm down with some crazy stuff. I think they had electricity, but I don't think it was perfect. Like, I'm well, pretty yeah, sure that they still uh, had like fights. And then how what this picture the context of because I notice it's uh it says Cincinnati at the bottom, and I know uh from Ross Ben that the word Cincinnati actually means a a city with seven hills, which oh interesting where I think that's like the backbone of the side of Tartaria that I find most interesting is when you can make these etymological connections because there really is um totally to that when language is passed on and people trade words just as much as they trade material goods it's how people learn and exchange ideas and cultures by taking on other languages and adapting their own language you see that everywhere across the globe yeah that, hey, look, that, that there's your duck that, you wanted that image yeah. that you had just shown andreas was for a <laughs> uh, a, a tobacco uh, uh was for a, a tobacco canister uh, container too which is a practice that uh that brings that ties together a lot of uh, civilizations over time too yeah so again so again i just want to restate my question before we get too far out there do we have any idea when these guys really started rolling yeah. up i mean i know yeah but let me let me golden ages whoa 
And he, let, he me, just, let me let me really quickly explain. So one of the things is they're misrepresented being in the 15th century as the official story and being called bastion forts and that they're designed specifically with the intention of being military strategists and that nothing else, right? Which is like, obviously there's a city in here. So they're clearly designed to be more than just a military thing because they have a city. So that city is designed to do more things. So they're designed to have commercials and to have a church and they're designed to be an autonomous zone. So this is not just a military strategy. This is like an economic zone. And so this grocery merchantile economic zone also has invariably water around it. So the, the thing is, it's not necessarily a perfect one to find an example of this. Uh, so it's again, what are we looking at? What, what are it's we not looking at look, when we see well, that star so, fort? So look at, right, look at right here. This is a city that was built and it's called a star fort. And they're saying that this was do, done for military purposes because you can shoot cannonballs every direction. But notice yeah. this is not a perfect uh, symmetrical, like it's at an angle for a reason because the water right, line comes in here. And so it has this golden ratio thing of water that comes and it curves around and allows water to come and flow through the town. So these are designed to actually ah. harness water flow. And so that's where you find is like you go to Spain, you go to Cordoba, where it used to be Arabic, and they have these star fort cities that had water mills, and the water mills were used to power the cities. And so, like, and these stories are told by everybody. They're like, in the 15th century, we left the dark town that we were in and we went to the Spanish Moorish city of Cordoba, where there were lights at night run by the river, you know, wheel. So, I mean, that's, that's cool, man. That's the stories from the 1500s, you know, and but so the deal is they're built everywhere and you find them in California from thousands of years ago. You find them in Russia, you find them in India and you find them in Africa. There's, we have a guy, uh, 13th Monkey on our discord, and he's got a map of just, I think, six or seven or eight thousand star forts that, have, you know, because like at one point you have to imagine like cities. Like these were the infrastructure for autonomous zones that could exist and trade with each other. And then there were Scythians and Aryans and like the Aryan just means noblemen Sanskrit, right? Like those were the ones who interacted with uh, traders in each city. So you had some people stayed in certain places, but a lot of people committed this endless summer trade route. And they would go from one summer zone with fruit and crops after harvest to another. And then that would bring, you know, that allowed for trade. And so this this allowed for Tartaria to be, you know, multicultural. It couldn't be a single ethnicity. Like if you look at how ethnic uh, empires worked, like in history, they always fall apart or they get really tangential, like the Edo period in Japan. It had to have been more of a trade network that had multiple cultures because you had to trade with somebody. And so, you know, eventually like it filled up that you have, you know, in China, in California, in New York, in, you know, Africa, in South America, like all over the world, you have these star forts. So that's the other thing that's pretty crazy is it's such a broad idea at this point. You're like, wow, this is like a whole worldwide culture where we were connected, like pre-Babylon Tower. Like, what was the deal that brought this down, right? Like, what could have destroyed this? And so then you get into Krakatoa. And so Krakatoa is like, crack giant volcano, went off, exploded really bad. Seven explosion sounds banged around the world. In Indonesia. And so here would have been kind of like an Atlantis like circumstance with a really highly involved, like using volcanoes to get minerals and to use energy. Like this would have been a natural harvesting station. And, and when it was went this off, in 1883, or is that just what they're posting here? Yeah, I mean, there's there's several, there's several pre-explosions that happened in 1811. And but then in 1883 is the official story of when they say it happened. I think it actually happened a couple of years earlier, and they're just lying about it. Because the stories from the Dutch East Indies company say that a guy on a rowboat went out 
peeked at his head at it, saw it and turned and saw this flute and rode back and got in a lighthouse. Uh, and when it exploded, the tsunami flooded the island, killed everyone but him. The water went over the lighthouse, but he survived for 30 days alone in that lighthouse without food or water. So I don't really buy the official wit like last witness story of Krakatoa either. Like, and he worked for the Dutch East Indies Company. Like he was sent there to, to get a story. So I pro I think that they've manipulated that as well. But wow. when it when it went off, it like you could hear it in England in California like seven times because it banged. Like what was that? I don't know. What was that? Like over and over again because it would, the sound would reverberate on itself supposedly according to like the newspapers. And this was so like told everywhere. Weren't the people living there then? They were, I mean, obviously the Wiped United out. States was tens founded. of thousands, tens of thousands of people died. Yeah. Yeah. So that's insane to me, just because, like, I mean, again, I'm probably just fucking stupid, but like I just don't get how all of this stuff lines up together. Oh, another interesting random side note, but I don't know if you guys are into Star Wars. <clears throat> In the uh, Knights of the Old Republic game, the Rakata are like the ancient like Star Wars like source of the force. And so I crack a uh, Krakatau Island, Rakata is the, the north coast of, you know, yeah. Right. So I, was, Maybe I can elaborate a little bit because I think what Andreas does a really great job of is, is showing us all the details, dumb, right? Yeah. And, and the important thing is to look back at the larger picture. What do we know about the state of the earth right now? Whoever rules the sea is in charge, right? Apparently sure. the United States Navy makes us the most powerful nation in the world. And, and China just got true. the most popular. Yeah. Navy. That's, but that's, that's, you know, factor has been true throughout human history. And I think what we can see is that there were, some cataclysmic events that maybe threw this seafaring nation off of its course. Mm. And maybe that would have favored this sort of budding empire that had always been in opposition to Tartaria and, and this, I don't want to say pagan cause it wasn't pagan, but it was almost like they were living in harmony with the moon and the sun rather than these sort of patriarchal cultures that kind of live with just the sun in mind like that's that warlike culture that we discussed earlier but i mean the example of the star forts you know you look at that that's you a think masonic that, sign that he's doing well, you I'm look sorry, at a star absolutely you, you think that you know oh that's for war but then andreas tells us like no actually this channeled water in a sacredly geometrical way right and on top of that there's illusions or rumors of them having electricity right because yeah and, not, and also just practical not just sacred geometry it happens to be because it is a freaking snowflake but like the thing is that it, it actually practically brings the water back around so it's just a very useful thing you know they were thinking about how they could get the water to spin a wheel right wow like i've seen like water wheels when i was in cordoba the days they still have today like they still we have the found evidence for like the Baghdad battery, which proves that people have at least understood that process for thousands of years. Um, so it's of not electricity really fetched at all. Yeah, it's not far fetched at all. I mean, there's even those like uh, depictions inside the pyramid itself that people say look like a light bulb with kind of like a flash of electricity. That's debatable. But yeah, there's definitely archaeological evidence uh, of a battery in ancient times. So yeah, that 
right there. Yeah, well, and the logic to where these people in Cordoba would have gotten their light bulbs in the 15th century is that they were looking at Arabic uh, bazaars and like dealing with trading of books and knowledge that were coming from Iran or other places, even east, you know, like as far as what was Tartaria, like which it goes all the way to China, right? You know, because at that point, Manchuria was in charge. It was a completely different kind of place. Um, you know, they had, they had access to that. Dangerous listeners, there is another half hour of discussion with Andreas and Mark, Ryan and myself, just waiting here over on the Patreon page, patreon.com slash dangerousworldpodcast. You just drop $3 there and you'll get access to all the full length episodes. Thanks for listening. Hope to see you there.